This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 12, Episode 26. This is Writing Excuses, Q&A on outlining and discovery writing. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Piper. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. All right. So Loma asks our first question, which is, how do you outline a scene? Not an entire book. Do you outline scenes? Oh, yeah, all the time. Mm. I, uh, I... Index, I usually use index cards. Uh, typically, a schlock mercenary scene is uh, three strips or six strips, uh, you know, like a Monday, Monday through Wednesday or a Monday through Saturday. And I will take an index card for each strip and I will write down, you know, what's happening? What's, what's the joke? What am I moving forward? Who are the characters in this? I'll reorder them. I'll throw away an index card because it's stupid. And I'll go through, you know, a dozen index cards to come up with six that I like, and then I go sit down at the computer and write. Hmm. I do not. Okay. Uh, hmm. I don't outline scenes. Uh, what I end up doing is usually having one line like, awesome hanky-panky here, or <laughs> car explodes, and then we go from there. Shenanigans ensue. Right. You know? mm-hmm. and awesome hanky-panky while car explodes. That has... <laughs> What I find with mine is that if my outline says something like that, you know, like insert awesome chase scene here, that it will suck. Mm. And that's just because of the way that I write. And so if I get to the point where I need a cool chase scene or I need a cool whatever, like the scene itself, it's not just what happens in it, but the way that it happens matters to me um, during the outlining phase then I will sit down and figure out how that scene is going to go. How do I want that chase scene to work? You know, what are they chasing each other through? Um, What is stopping them from catching up to the people in front? You know, and figure out what the beats of that chase scene are going to be, because then it will work better. The uh, Sandra and I were talking about the uh, uh, second Pirates of the Caribbean uh, film, where there's the fight on the island where they're chasing the chest and the rolling uh. water wheel thing. And I've watched that I've watched that three times in the last 48 hours. And it is one of the most brilliantly plotted action scenes ever. And I can tell, you know, it's outlined because people change sides over and over and over again. And the fight intersects and all of it is engaging and fun. And yeah, it's like you said, if, uh, oh, they have a sword fight on the island and so-and-so ends up with the chest, that's not going to be enjoyable enough. Yeah, we, mm-hmm. want something that, we want something that tells the story. So I've talked a lot about my outlining method uh, on writing excuses and in my, my YouTube lectures. I, my outline is a list of bullet points to accomplish a goal. And then when I write a chapter, I grab the bullet points. The thing is, the bullet points are goal-oriented. My outline is goal-oriented. So the outline might include awesome chase scene here, um, in which, because I always want to have a goal, in which this is accomplished, but this character fails to help out and feels useless, right? Yeah. Like, we've got character moments and things like that. When I actually sit down to write the scene, I do outline the scene as a different list of bullet points, which is a sequence of events, which are uh, kind of clues to the image in my head. They're a notation to the scene I've already played out. 
to remind me, oh, this and this and this, and occasionally snips of dialogue. So yeah, I do outline scenes, but I do it before I write the scene that day, as opposed to doing it all in the big outline. That sounds uh, so weird to me. Yeah, I can show you them. They're very, yeah. Yeah, see, when I'm, when I'm thinking about it, and I'm going back to that one hanky-panky here, generally I'm out for a walk or I'm doing cardio, and I start pondering what I wanted to happen in that scene, what key things from the story need to tie in in that scene, and I, like, let myself think about that first, and then I sit down and I discovery write it. Mm-hmm. All right. So Sam asks, when outlining... How do you know when to stop adding to the outline? For me, it is dialogue. Okay. And there are occasionally, like I said, if if I need to outline a scene in particular to know the beats of it, sometimes I will let dialogue creep in. But if I get to the point where I am adding dialogue to my outline, then I know I'm just writing the story and it's time to stop and just write the story. Okay. Good call. For me, it's when I know I have the emotional beats required to earn one climactic moment, whatever which one I'm pointing toward. I don't need anything more than that. I just need to know what the beats mm-hmm. are. All right, next question. Uh, Mark asks, how much do you have to know about your characters slash world before you begin writing? Nothing. Nada. Uh, technically. All right. <laughs> yeah. I thought you would say that. I just wanted to throw it out there. Um, I also have one that I'm going to pitch to you guys because we talked about this. I'll remain quiet on this. But you guys weren't there. This was with the Chicago group. Um, what do you do to diagnose and fix a structural prog- problem when you have a finished, mostly discover-written draft? I reverse outline. Okay. Yeah, I'll actually go through, because I have to write a synopsis anyway, right? Um, a synopsis is a tool that a lot of the marketing team are, is going to use to be able to understand a whole bunch about your book without mm-hmm. having to read your book. So if I know that there's something structurally wrong with my draft, I'll start to create my synopsis to see if I'm missing a beat somewhere. Yeah, I, I kind of do that as well on some of mine that I've discovered written. Besides, I hate writing a synopsis, so I might as well just do it the one time. <laughs> tell, tell me the question again, So I want to make sure I get it. Pretend you've, you've discovered written a story, yeah. and there's a structural problem. How mm-hmm. do you diagnose and fix that? Oh, that's hard. Yes. <laughs> it, this that's, is why I ignored the question the first time, apparently. Yes. Um, and I've done that. Uh, I had to do that with Hollow City, and... I just kind of, with that one, brute forced it and talked to a lot of of alpha readers and beta readers and, and writing group and to see um, what problems they had. And invariably, no one in any of those groups suggested the fix that I ended up using. But what they did is they told me, this is the problem I'm having and this is where I think it's coming from. And looking at, you know, kind of the Venn diagram of where all of those answers overlapped, I was able to identify, oh, I bet this is the problem, and I bet I could fix it by doing this other thing. It was more complicated than that, but right. basically that. Howard, you ever had to have to do this? Uh, I, I have. I, I think I've related the story before, and what I needed to do is I just took all the script. I could tell that a script wasn't reading right. It, it was broken and it already had art on it. And so I'm not going to redraw it. And there, you know, seven strips that would need to be redrawn if I made a big change. And so I laid everything out on the game table, you know, comic, all illustrated stuff, and then some index cards and, and pushed things around and realized that, oh, I can fix this by inserting a week of comics. Oh, good. Um, 
the quote that I like, and I can't remember who said it, but it's a it's a military military history quote. When you when you have a problem, that's bad. When you have two problems, you might be able to make them fight and end up with zero problems. <laughs> and so finding out that you have one problem with your story is terrifying. But if you've got two problems, it's possible that they're going to solve each other if you just look you at know, them that correctly. That happens a lot. Yes. It really does. It does. Yeah. All right, let's stop for the book of the week, which is Contracted Defense. Contracted Defense. Yes. Not contracted. They didn't, they didn't they acquire. They didn't contract anything. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> Although now that's, that's a yes. good story. Now that's wrong kind of like thinking. Mm. Got the wrong emphasis. So Contracted Defense is my third book in the Safeguard series, which is through Karina Press, which is a digital first press. Um, and it's... It's probably the end of the series, but it's been a fun ride. It's The Safeguard uh, group is a group of mercenaries, and they specialize in protecting people and doing the right thing. Um, I've had a lot of fun with this series because I've been introducing characters that are unusual, either because they're rather diverse or mm-hmm. I've been role-switching where the female is the bodyguard and the male is the—and and the hero is the person who needs protection— um, and in contracted defense in particular, I have a pair of safeguard professionals who are trying to protect um, a secret, shall we say. And in the protection of that secret, they have to deal with whether or not they want to be partners themselves um, with each other. And they have a whole lot to prove. And of course, shenanigans ensue. There's a corgi in the mix and there's a watcher in the walls. Mm, cool. Sounds awesome. And that is out this month. Yes. Excellent. All right. Um, let's go to the next question, which actually Leah pitched right at Dan. Who? She said, so I taught flat. myself to out- outline like Dan did, but sometimes I can't always get into an outline like I should be able to. How did you address this, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> to get into an outline? Yes, that you're having trouble getting into, I think, is the, the idea here. Um, uh, uh, okay. Trying to think of a good example where I've had trouble getting into an outline. Um, okay, Hollow City again. I the first outline I did for this was awful, and I don't know if you remember this from writing group, Brandon, but it was it was abysmal. Um, the writing was great. We just, the writing was good. Story we had no outline, idea. Was, yeah. The outline for it was mm-hmm. was really bad, and mm-hmm. so I actually I knew the story that I wanted to tell. And I knew kind of, like we've talked about, I knew what the beats were. But the outline itself was awful. And so the first thing I did was I actually threw out that outlining system I was using at the time and found a different one and just said, what if I plug all of this information into this new formula and see what happens? And that took a lot of tweaking and a lot of polishing to get it to where I wanted it to be. But it was... You know, just the idea of being able to see the same thing through a a different lens or a different perspective helped me to see which parts of the outline still worked and which parts were unnecessary and and which parts were just outright harmful (laughs) to the story. All right. Uh, Darcy says, so far I've written five novels. Good job, Darcy. You know, it was my (laughs) sixth novel that sold and it was your sixth novel. It was my sixth as well. So. Did you just promise her that... No. Okay, I'm just yeah. making sure. Just Promise saying that, that it can happen. Will not sell. Sorry, Darcy. <laughs> Sorry, Darcy. Possibilities are out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. Six is a lucky number for uh, for writing excuses members. 
Um, the preparation slash outlining process for each has been different by virtue of the story's needs. As pros, do you still deal with, deal with this frustration or have you worked out a system that consistently works for you? It's different every friggin' time. Yeah. And it drives me up the wall. And part of that is because I personally am consciously always trying to do something different with every book, a new genre or a new style or a new point of view or something like that. But even so, they're hard. Um, John Cleaver five was the 10th book I published and it was the hardest one to write of anything that I'd done. And that's counting the five previous ones that will never be published because they were awful. Writers, we, we are not, we are not chainsaw sculptors making grizzly bears out of logs where every oh. day in the morning now you I'm pick sad. up the, yeah, you pick <laughs> up the chainsaw and you make a bear out of it. We are chainsaw sculptors who make grizzly bears who also happen to sometimes make cabinets and coffee tables and and deforest continents. And you get up in the morning, you don't know which tools you're going to need. Every book is like, trying to start every book is like a first kiss with a different person. Honestly, you just don't know how it's going to work. You hope it's going to work. It could be awkward. You've done it before, so you know that it can work. Yeah, but it's going to be different. It, yeah. Yeah, I knew you guys were going to say this. Um, I will say that my process has stabilized over the years. Really? And it's much more rare. Now, different genres will end up having a different process. But when I write a Stormlight book or an, an epic fantasy book, that process is working very well for me, and I only make refinements as I go along. If I sit down to write something different, then I have a different process usually. So, I know... When I get up in the morning, uh, I you know I have a plan for what the process is going to be, mm-hmm. but I've seen it break enough times that I know that you know today I might not be sculpting a grizzly bear with a chainsaw. Yeah, I being, which I found is actually more rare, being a very natural outliner, finding out my process, finding away those tools, and uh, working with them, sticking to and it, sticking to it, keeps you productive. Is uh, is more of a more of an outline writer thing. Like we said, we're all discovery writers yeah. and we're all hybrid. But that natural outlining means that, yeah. I, I want to pursue this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Obviously, your process of writing a Stormlight book is different from writing like a Reckoner's book. Right. But your shorter stuff, like the Alloy of Law stuff, yeah. was that more or less the same that as was the, the Reckoner's same stuff? As the, that was the or same as Stormlight. As Stormlight, even yeah. though Stormlight mm-hmm. is. Right. Ten times When bigger. I do a Stormlight book, I outline a trilogy, um, and then okay. I write them as one and publish them in, uh, as mm-hmm. one. So, for instance, the, the Wax and Wayne books, the, the, the three that I've done are together about the length of a Stormlight book. Stormlight book just has all three in there, which allows me to play a little looser with the, with the outline. Mm-hmm. Not looser, but it means I don't have to hit the same exact beats because I know the big climax is at the end. And so, so what is different then uh, about the, that process and outlining, say, the three Reckoners books? The three Reckoners books, um, I wanted to feel like an action film specifically. And so I went and watched some of my favorites. And then I actually created a more Hollywood style outline Act One, Act Two, Act Three, set piece, set piece, set piece. And using some of the Hollywood formula stuff, uh, the, the mm. seven point story structure or things like this, and actually build out an outline that I could take to uh, my agent and say, here is an outline. It looks like a normal person's outline, right? Normal. Uh, it looks like what the normal person yeah. expects an outline to look like, that mm-hmm. every major scene is in the outline 
and the, yeah, with the Stormlight books and, um, and my Epic Fantasy, it's not like that. Like I said, it's goal-driven. It's this character is learning this thing, and here are the bullet points that push them toward that. It's a much more flexible outline. Reckoners I made much more rigid just to hit some of those, those Hollywood beats. That is interesting. There is, a, there is cool. a career lifestyle element to the question here. You know, Brandon, you have your editorial personal assistant, yes. Peter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can be flexible in your process up to a point at which you force his process to break. Yeah. Okay. So, and so your process has some constraints on it. Mm-hmm. I have a colorist. Yeah. Uh, I have a daily deadline that mm-hmm. needs to be met. There's all kinds of things I can do with process to make me productive today in order to get the words out. But ultimately, there are constraints on my process that I have to recognize. Um, as in, in answer to the question, find out what the constraints are on your process yeah. and you know, figure out where the borders are and then mess around within the borders. You might find out that you can be... Yeah, I have some really bizarre things because, you know, the new Stormlight book is three books wrapped in one with a short story collection in between them, right? So book one has been done uh, with the revision, the writing and the revision. Book two is in the hands of Peter and Moshe. I just finished book three of the trilogy squished together and I'm now revising that. And then I will go back to part one, which I will, book one, which I'll revise get to third draft, send to beta readers while they're still working on part four or part four and five, which is book three. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very weird because this is what we have to do with the 450,000 word book that people want. The difference between pouring a driveway and paving a freeway. Um, (laughs) It's all about scale. um, I'm going to end us here. There's so many good questions. Um, But I'm going to end us uh, with what are some major indicators that a piece needs more structure? Uh, Aiden asked that question. I thought it was very interesting because this whole two months we've been talking a lot about adding structure or the importance of structure. How do you identify if something's broken in the first place? If you end up off track a lot, like Mm. it's one thing if you have a scene or a chapter where you have an epiphany and maybe you want to explore that a little, that's great. But if you're going off track every time you sit down to write a chapter, you may need more structure as to where you're going. This was the very first thing I said in the other podcast about outlining, and I'm going to say it again now, I had to learn the difference between a story and a bunch of stuff that happens. And often that is what it comes down to, is if a story needs more structure, it's because there's just a bunch of stuff happening and they don't necessarily lead from one to another. Uh, The characters are not growing organically or towards a specific goal or character change. It's just things are happening. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really good advice. If I'm stuck, there's probably a structural problem. If I'm bored, there's probably a structural problem. Uh, the, emotional, the emotional bellwethers for me mm. are super important. If I don't want to sit down and write, I will often ask myself, okay, is that because what you don't want to sit down and write is broken? Or is it because you just really want to sit down and play a video game? All right, so we're going to go to our homework. And I have written on my guide for this episode (laughs) simply the words, Dan does something wacky weird, because he promised us. So so here we go. We're playing around with outlines. This is what you're going to do. We're going to force you to to think outside the box. You're going to find another writer or someone who wants to to do this with you. And each of you are going to come up with a just quick outline for a story, you know, point by point, 
however many points you want, six or seven, then you're going to cut, print them out, cut them into strips, and then hand the other person the pile of strips. They know the beats of the story, but they don't know what order they go in. And then you have to reorder them, turn that into a cohesive story, and write it. That's awesome. I love that. That sounds super fun. It's like our, <laughs> our I Ching episode. <laughs> Ooh, don't remind me of that one. Hello. Okay. <laughs> this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 